This is the Gender Justice Brief, a podcast of gender justice. We fight for gender equity by breaking down legal, structural, and cultural barriers and expanding protections. We want to see all people thrive, regardless of their gender, gender expression, and sexual orientation. Welcome back to another episode of the Gender Justice Brief. My name is Erin May Quaid. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the Special Projects Advisor at Gender Justice. Today, I am joined by three really dope people. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We are going to talk about crisis pregnancy centers. So, Jay, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, for sure. My name is Jay Balsito. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm an organizer here at Gender Justice Unrestricted Minnesota. I've been here for a little over a year, and I got into this work. I've been organizing for over a decade now in different roles throughout from like political electoral campaigns to issue campaigns to like more grassroots community organizing and came into this role at Gender Justice where I get to do work that's really meaningful and important to me around LGBTQ equity and economic justice and reproductive justice and just bring together that intersectional approach to all these issues that are very connected around bodily autonomy and CPC, crisis pregnancy centers are also part of that work that I've been able to work on and do in collaboration a little bit with folks at ANAC. So I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. And I've just, it's been so wonderful to work with you. I feel like we got to work together like in activist circles way back when. Yes. <laughs> That's so great. My wife is so jealous I get to work with you. I know, I know. I miss Elise. We'll have to, we'll have to find a way to get her in here at some point. Yes. Yes. Okay, Carol, I'm going to come to you. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and a little bit about the work you do. Yeah, my name is Carolyn, she, her pronouns, and I'm a member of the Minnesota Abortion Action Committee. We go by MANAC, so that's what we'll be saying because Abortion Action Committee is too long. But I've been in MANAC for about a little less than one year, and I come to it with a lot of experience in the reproductive health world, especially menstrual health, like periods, and a background in public health. But Hadn't done much organizing since or until I got to Manac, and it's been a really great place to learn and grow and understand more. And it's really, I think, where a lot of the work is getting done. So it's really exciting. And Olivia can explain more about the history of Manac and all that. Yeah, I was going to go to Olivia and have Olivia introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are, pronouns if you care to share. And then, yeah, give us a little overview of Manac. For sure. Yeah, I'm Olivia. I use they, them pronouns. I guess you would say I'm a founding member of MNAC because we started as a coalition of a lot of different organizations when Roe was overturned, identifying the need to have grassroots action around abortion rights in Minnesota. And so I actually come out of the student movement. I was a student organizer with SDS or Students for a Democratic Society at the University of Minnesota. And we were one of the groups that called the initial protests in reaction to the Dobbs decision and then the overturning. And I was graduating at that time, so it just made sense to move into what would become MNAC or a new group whose sole focus was on not just only abortion rights, but like gender oppression and like bodily autonomy generally. So, yeah, we've been around since 2022. We're volunteer run, more focused on, I would say, direct action and being in the streets and in the community and educating people about what their rights are, but also what the dangers of crisis pregnancy centers are. That's our main campaign. So a lot of the advocacy and action that we've done has been around CPC specifically for the past two years. And that's such important advocacy because I've been doing reproductive health rights and justice work for five years now. And what I've learned is that people really broadly do not know 
uh, who what CPCs are, um, or if they do, they they understand like that they have a certain viewpoint, but don't understand how really harmful they are. And so the work you're doing on the ground is so crucial. I'm just going to read off a definition of crisis pregnancy centers that was used in the designed to deceive study that gender justice was part of. Crisis pregnancy centers are anti-abortion organizations that seek to reach low-income people facing unintended pregnancies to prevent them from accessing abortion and contraception. And so they use, they do this, I should say, by using deceptive and coercive tactics, medical misinformation, disinformation, um, presenting themselves as medical facilities. And the modern CPC industry is a well-resourced arm of the global anti-abortion movement. And it's rapidly expanding CPCs are, and they also evade public accountability while increasingly relying on public funds. Most people see crisis pregnancy centers or CPCs in their communities, and they look like really, you know, tiny little quaint centers that are just like run by a handful of volunteers. And and that is certainly not the case for most CPCs. They're unlicensed, they're unregulated. The American Medical Association's Journal of Ethics describes them as unethical, and the Associated Press actually updated their style guide recently to advise journalists to refer to crisis pregnancy centers as anti-abortion counseling centers and recommends not using potentially misleading terms such as pregnancy resource center or pregnancy counseling centers because they don't provide medical care by and large. They don't provide any sort of pregnancy resources it really is an entire uh, arm that is just dedicated to coercing people into not using contraception and misleading them to not allow them to access abortion care and to push off in a religious narrative, too. So there's religious based parenting classes um, that aren't rooted in any sort of evidence based parenting science or if there even is that I know there is. I'm a mom and I'm like, I'm just doing my best out here. And so that is really their whole point. I want to come to you, Jay, first to just talk a little bit about, like I gave a definition, right? But do you want to just dive in more? Because I know that in the work you've done, you've talked to people who've gone to crisis pregnancy centers. You've done some of this work on the ground with Carolyn and Olivia. Talk a little bit more about crisis pregnancy centers and like how you would want people to understand them. Yeah, my my first exposure to a crisis pregnancy center actually is when I was a junior in high school and I was pregnant with my oldest child, Makai. When I went to a crisis pregnancy center in East St. Paul and I, I saw they were advertising free ultrasounds and free resources for pregnant folks and a teenager too scared to go to any adults in my life and kind of figure out what I needed. And I really had no idea what I was stepping into. They had given me a fake ultrasound, which at the time I was not equipped with the education or understanding as to what was really going on. But I had some suspicions around the ultrasound that they gave me, which was a fake ultrasound and a, a fetus embryo that was further along in development than me at four or five weeks. And then went into a room where someone talked to me about adoption options and talked to me about all these great families that are looking for children. And I also had gone to another CPC in my neighborhood that gave me some free blankets or diapers or something in exchange for watching some anti-choice videos or something like that. And thankfully, I had some folks in my corner and some friends and stuff who helped me navigate that and ended up finding my way to Planned Parenthood and getting actual medical care and resources that I needed. But it was interesting years later to learn about them and be like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure I went to one or two of those and start connecting those dots. And it was pretty infuriating to, to learn that they are very intentionally placed in certain communities, being communities of color, low-income communities, transient communities, college campuses, places where folks might have just limited resources and limited access. And they really target people when they're at their most vulnerable in a very 
predatory way to steer them away from having accurate information and having all of their options and resources available. And the more you learn about it, it's pretty wild. to, to And so that's my introduction into CPCs and being able to work on this work uh, more directly at Gender Justice and be part of the efforts last year to end state funding to CPCs, which was huge, was very exciting. And, and like a lot of the other work that we're doing, we're doing a great job and we still have a long way to go because they exist in these communities for a reason. These, it is an economic justice issue and a bodily autonomy issue. And that's why I really love the work that Manac does on the ground because they bring that intersectional approach and help people connect the dots to, to immigrant and migrant movements and state violence. And they bring the anti-war committees in and tie in issues that are happening globally. And I think it's just really helpful for people to put into context that they're part of this larger movement by the right and white Christian nationalists to um, control folks and bodily autonomy and really uh, restrict access. Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. And if you're a person who is hearing this and realize that you visited a crisis pregnancy center, or maybe you already knew that, please reach out to Gender Justice uh, if you'd like to share your story. It doesn't mean that it's public, but we're always looking uh, for more stories to describe what is happening inside crisis pregnancy centers. Because again, a lot of people don't realize until many years later that they've been in one. So you can reach out to J at jay.belsito, B-E-L-S-I-T-O at genderjustice.us. These organizations are performing ultrasounds. They're called non-diagnostic ultrasounds because they're often not performed by real ultrasound technicians that aren't licensed. They're just volunteers waving a wand over a uterus or have honestly maybe transvaginally too, because if you're only four or five weeks along, like that is horrifying to me. And I think about all the time that people who go in there and are not only getting not real ultrasounds, but also might have an actual healthcare emergency, right? An ectopic pregnancy or multiples where they actually need medical care. And these places don't provide them at all. And I, I just wonder how many people have been endangered by that. Olivia and Carolyn, I want to come to you both. Is there anything you want to add on top of just how Jay framed crisis pregnancy centers and what happens there and what you've experienced or what you've seen? Uh, yeah, I can go. I think something that comes to mind for me too, and something that we talk a lot about in Manac is a group that's focused on gender oppression, not just for cis women, obviously, is that these places are also the evangelical backers that fund these facilities are also the same ones who are pushing for anti-LGBTQ or anti-trans legislation on the national level. And I think that it's important to frame crisis pregnancy centers not only as a direct risk to people who are pregnant and in crisis and looking for resources, but also just to the greater movement for gender liberation, right? It's something that people from many different backgrounds have staked in fighting against is something that we're really trying to address. And Jay said it's really important for us to also talk about the ways that these places target specific communities and the ways that all different types of groups are affected by CPCs, even if not directly or directly. And yeah, part of our background is Manac coming from like all these different activist groups that already existed in the Twin Cities, right? We had people who were in the anti-war committee. We had people who were in the Minnesota Immigrant Rights Action Committee, um, people on SDS, all of these different folks from different backgrounds, like lending that activist experience to crisis pregnancy centers and our campaign work has been really useful, which is also why we pulled those folks in to speak to those experiences at our protests, because we're really trying to build a movement of as many people as possible to know that these places exist and to fight back. So that's what I would add. Well, it's just really cool, too, because movement, successful movements are built on successful movements and by people who have been part of successful movements. And so 
it's so cool to hear that you're all leaning on that experience and leaning on that to be successful. That's the marker of, I think, a, another successful movement. Carolyn, anything you want to add? Yeah, both of what Jane and Olivia said are super important and helpful in understanding more about Curtis Pregnancy Centers. And one thing to know is that, unfortunately, they are everywhere. Curtis Pregnancy Centers, I think there's over 90, around 98 or so in the state of Minnesota alone. And there's about four or five within the Twin Cities. And there's only 11 or no, sorry, nine places to get an abortion in Minnesota versus 98 places, CPCs in Minnesota. They're also all over the country and other countries as well. Like I know I heard the last Gender Justice podcast about talking about how they are also in South America. And so I think like the more awareness we can spread about them, the since they're everywhere, more people will know. And yeah, I think he's also talked about how there's very rarely a licensed physician or registered nurse on staff. So like these places, yeah, they're just, they're not real. Like most of them have no real medical advice that they can give you. And there are so many of them, which is terrifying. Yes. And I think it's important to just name the ways in which so, Jay, something you said that you didn't realize until years later that you'd gone to a CPC, that happens to so many people. They hear about it later on. And, oh, that's what happened to me. It doesn't feel as terrible as like when you list all the things that they do, because it doesn't happen to people all at once in one visit, although some people it does. But it's it is it's so nefarious and it's so subtle. Right. So you walk in and somebody's there and they're wearing scrubs that says medical professional. Right. But it's just like a volunteer. It's just a person in scrubs. Right. They have then you go back to where they have a, a bend like a doctor's office and then an ultrasound machine. So it's feeling like a doctor. Right. You have someone in scrubs. They've got a machine. And like in no one's world, do they think there's no way that just random civilians can have these things. These are meant for medical professionals or they they'll use medical mis and disinformation. So they'll talk about things that abortion pill reversal, I'm putting that in quotes, um, which is not a thing. And it's medical experimentation that they're promoting on people to is essentially what it is. It's a high dose of progesterone after taking the first pill and medication abortion. Um, and any quote unquote success stories are really just a non-completed abortion. So it's like they didn't take the second pill in the abortion. Um, pill regimen. And like, it's just high dose progesterone, which has caused severe bleeding. They tried to do a real scientific study on this process and they had to halt it because a quarter of the patients had to be transferred to the hospital with severe hemorrhaging. So it's like they're putting this on billboards and they're having people call. And it's just, I too cannot believe it's not regulated more. I say that as a, both a human being and a lawmaker, but this is, it, it really is this whole deception theater that happens from the moment you walk in. And not only that, but they're taking all of the data from people who come in and then they're selling that to the national and international anti-abortion movement for data collection. And they reach out to people who, after they visit and have been known to harass people, right? Text them over and over to make sure that they don't go to an abortion clinic and that all of those things too. So it's really harmful. In Minnesota, up until this past session, so between 2005 and 2023, Minnesota taxpayers gave $3 million every year to Crisis Pregnancy Center through something that was called, and I'm putting this in hella quotes, okay, the Positive Alternatives to Abortion Grant Program. It was created by Tim Pawlenty in the Republican legislature. And we'll link to the uh, show notes 
the Minnesota Attorney General's consumer alert about Crisis Pregnancy Center, as well as the gender justice report on Designed to Deceive. But it's through work like that we were able to sever the taxpayer funding of Crisis Pregnancy Centers, thankfully. But they're not just funded by the state, right? $3 million per year is not a ton of money. So they still exist and they're still thriving. Olivia and Carolyn, I'm going to come back to you. Talk about some of the things I touched on, this privacy and surveillance, how they're, how they're working and operating in the Twin Cities, especially as you've been doing this work on the ground. Carolyn, do yeah. you want to take the privacy part? Yes. Yeah. So as we've been discussing, these places are not real clinics or yeah, most of them are not real clinics. And at a real clinic or any healthcare facility, if your your medical records and your health information are all protected by law. So that means the nurse that sees you or anyone that's going to see those medical records or do any cares on you, they can't tell anyone anything that happened or they can't sell the information to anyone. You, your information can't be exploited. And if you don't want to tell anyone about your health, they won't know because it's protected by HIPAA laws. Um, but since crisis pregnancy centers are not real clinics, they don't have to follow that regulation. And so Aaron said, like, these places can sell your information to other groups. They can also talk to anyone about your information. If you wanted to keep your pregnancy private for as long as you wanted, they can tell anyone that you're pregnant, including like parents or other people in your life. And also something to note, too, is we had a speaker at one of our recent protests at Abrea Northside who talked about how she was sexually assaulted uh, as a minor. And when she went to the crisis pregnancy center, again, she didn't know it was a crisis pregnancy center. Um, they like had to report that she was assaulted because if you're a minor and you are raped, there are legal lead laws that you have to go through to report that. However, they didn't explain that to her and it co totally resulted in mistrust and a lot of extra trauma that she had already, she'd already been traumatized and now she had to add that onto it because they made it seem like they were very trusting and like she could talk to them and they wouldn't call the police and they wouldn't tell her parents. And then the moment that she explained the situation, they called an extra staff, they called the police and they called their parents. And even though there are laws around that, there are ways to explain that to minors and things like that. So it's just that these places, they're not legitimate. They don't have to follow mandated reported rules or they don't have to keep your information private, which is just so scary. So another thing to know about CPCs and more education for people. Yeah, I often say that people who go into CPCs, there's nothing that prevents them from taking out a full page ad in the Star Tribune being like, here's everybody who came through our doors. There's also an aspect of crisis pregnancy centers that always gets me, which is they often they offer, quote unquote, free goods. So come in and Jay, you mentioned they gave you diapers and blankets, which a few diapers and blankets. What else could you possibly need as a teen who might be experiencing pregnancy? But you had to watch videos first. And so this it's not that these items that are given through crisis pregnancy centers are free from strings, right? They might be free from money, but you have to give time, sit through, again, like religious videos or take classes. There's some that require you to go through an entire give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, like to go through that whole thing and be, quote unquote, saved or, or whatever. And that is there have been studies. I, I can add this to the show notes as well. There was a woman who followed a few people who visited crisis pregnancy centers. And one woman lost her apartment because she was basically told by a crisis pregnancy center that if she didn't keep coming to the parenting classes, she would be a bad mom. And so she went to the parenting classes instead of work and lost her job. So she lost her apartment. Right. And so like 
that is not free. That is very much costing people. And free would be like you walk in, you get it, you leave. That is not the case with crisis pregnancy centers. Olivia, I wanted to come back to you. Are there other things, privacy, surveillance tactics? I know a lot of CPCs use their building as like the recruitment place to find harassers for abortion clinics. So anything you want to add to that? Yeah, the last thing you said really sticks with me just because we've been protesting outside of these facilities to let people know that they exist, but also so that the facilities themselves can feel unwelcome in our communities and feel that pressure directly. And in doing so, we have encountered a lot of counter protesters and counter protesters specifically that are organized by the crisis pregnancy centers. Uh, And to speak to the ones in Minneapolis, I guess there are four of them currently because some of them have closed or moved out of the city. But First Care Pregnancy Center is one that is headquartered in Minneapolis, has two locations, right? One near the university, so targeting students directly, which is very scary. They also have a student group that's registered at the University of Minnesota. And then they also have a location that is on Chicago and Franklin in the Phillips neighborhood. So what Jay was speaking to earlier about targeting low-income communities specifically, that is the stated purpose even on their website of that center. So First Care, they employ like all of the standard tactics, right? Like you can come to parenting classes, you can receive material goods so long as you have some kind of religious-based counseling attached to it. But yeah, like I was saying before, we have seen them mobilizing anti-abortion protesters at our actions. And then we see these same people outside of the Vandalia Clinic in St. Paul doing their 40 days of life counter protesters and harassing people who are trying to access reproductive health care. The fact that these places want to position themselves as unbiased is a complete farce. We see them mobilizing counter protesters all over the city. And so I think that their agenda is really clear at least to us. We hope to make it clear to everyone else so that they don't fall for their tactics. Yeah. And it's one of those things where they they like to push this narrative that if you're a clinic that provides abortion care, you don't provide anything else. But that's not what medicine is, right? Like when you provide health care, you provide all kinds of health care. Jay talked about a little bit in their story, right? You went to a Planned Parenthood. You have a child now that you were pregnant with at the time. You received health care. There's no agenda from a healthcare clinic other than providing you healthcare that you want and need. There is an agenda from a crisis pregnancy center. And so they like to push this narrative that they have one view and that we're on the equal and opposite side. That's not true, right? Like we want people who want to have children. What they don't need is shame, coercion, deception, and five diapers. What they do need is real health care and a place to live and a livable wage and transportation and culturally appropriate food and public education for their kid and daycare, like actual things that go into becoming a parent if you so choose. And that is the thing that I think gets me is that all of this time for crisis pregnancy centers, all of this money, all of this energy is solely focused on deceiving and coercing people to not having abortions when they could, if they so chose, choose to, I would love to imminent domain all 98 of these crisis pregnancy centers and turn them into affordable housing for people who do have children. I would love to turn them into food banks and diaper banks and formula banks. Like these are things that actually support people having children when they decide they would like to have children. And everything that crisis pregnancy center they're doing is not that. It None of it is that. And it just it blows my mind when it's, I, I don't know, it's, and to me, there's a difference between standing outside of a building where people walk into to be like coerced and shamed for their mental health status or their sexual history or their sexual orientation or gender identity or gender expression 
and standing outside someone's actual healthcare clinic as they're going to get healthcare. That was just my little rant off that soapbox. <laughs> Anyone want to jump in with anything before we move to next pieces? I just wanted to add, I'm glad that you touched on the money piece. I think because this is political propaganda and these aren't people who really care about pregnant people and unborn fetuses, this is these, as we discussed, they're connecting a lot of different issues here and following the money helped paint a clearer picture of that. And I read that Google earned $10 million from ads misdirecting abortion seekers to preg crisis pregnancy centers. And once you start to follow the money, it's a wormhole into how really insidious these are and how many people are profiting and benefiting off of these fake clinics. Definitely encourage folks to do some of their own research and kind of look into the ways that there's millions and millions of dollars entangled within these. Let's touch on let's touch on that last piece and talk about pregnant people do deserve resources. They absolutely do. What they don't need is other people giving their opinion about their pregnancy and their parenting decisions and whether they're going to have or have children grow their family, all that. But they do need actual resources. And so I think that is so much of where I think people miss that is actually happening in the movement is actual. You talked about this at the top, Olivia, that all of the organizations that you're working with in order to, to do what you're doing. If you see a through line there, it's actually supporting people and supporting families and the right to live safe and healthy lives in their communities. That's really what this is about, is making sure that people do have, are able to make their own decisions and then have support with whatever decision that is. Yeah, we think a lot about that too. Our goal is for people to have bodily autonomy and self-determination to choose if they want to have a kid. Which means that if you are pregnant and you would like to continue your pregnancy, you should have the material needs and the support to be able to do like our desired outcomes to like, how do we want CPCs to end are for all CPCs to be, yeah, like you were saying, Erin, to be replaced by like affordable housing or even also clinics and other healthcare facilities as I think a lot about like greater Minnesota as well, where I just saw something that said, it, depending on where you are in greater Minnesota, especially in northern Minnesota, you're about two hours away from a birth center or a healthcare facility. And that's really scary. And we know that there are crisis pregnancy centers all over greater Minnesota. Um, and something that you talked about as well is the needs for people. There are some needs that people are getting from crisis pregnancy centers, like diapers, formula. While it's never going to be enough, it's still like, why is that the only place that you can get those things? Yeah. Like, why does it have to be a religious institution that makes you feel horrible and misinforms you about things? We would love to see a totally new healthcare system. I know that you probably all feel that way. So no need to like go into <laughs> all the healthcare things that we want to see changed. But like, why is that the only place you can get a free ultrasound and get help for things that you need? And I think that's what we want at Menacus for these places to be change into real healthcare centers for people to have healthcare and have better social support, like diapers, food, having a, a country where parents are actually prioritized and not left to anything that they can get in terms of childcare and maternal or parental leaves. We want anyone who wants to go forward with the pregnancy to be able to have the needs to do. And also if they don't want to also have the resources to do. So it's not just, yeah, we just want everyone to be able to choose their own futures in a way that they're supported. Yes. Our movement is not outcome determinants for individual people's decisions. We, we want them to make their own decisions. I think about all the time how much, like there, there are crisis pregnancy centers all for, there's 98, you can look at the map. It's really startling. 
And if all of those places offered ultrasounds or like play groups for people who just can't birth or have a new baby, or I would love a place where I could go to give my daughter's clothes to that aren't selling them, right? Like I have a lot of clothes and I've been just giving to random families, but to have a place and that don't require people to jump through hoops to get those clothes. That it's just like a place where people can go to be like, you know what? I need a bunch of 2T stuff. It's great. Here's some 2T stuff, right? Bring back the last. And I, I just, it doesn't seem like it's rocket science, but it is being impeded because people think that crisis pregnancy centers are filling that hole and they're not. And so that is, that's where this work that you all do is so important. And there was a bill this past session called the Positive Pregnancy Support Act that would have expanded information and services, real services to people who are pregnant. And there was a different program program that was started that was called the Healthy Beginnings, Healthy Families, Healthy Pregnancy, Healthy Beginnings grant program. And that was to reduce infant and maternal mortality, which let me tell you, crisis pregnancy centers are part of the increase in maternal and infant mortality in this country. So our abortion ban and to help make sure people have the support they need, but it's not enough, right? We need so, so much more. Okay. I want to ask a question and I'm going to come to you, Jay, first. How can people get involved in this work? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different opportunities to get involved. Definitely, like I, I always love like a direct action grassroots approach where you're showing up. We really need people at events and spreading the word and just talking about what's happening. And there's always opportunities for that. There are a lot of different avenues to other avenues to get involved as well for um, folks who have different like capacities and skills and abilities. Over at the Gender Justice and Unrestrict on our advocacy side, we have a lot of opportunities for people to get involved with legislative work that's happening and phone banking and showing up at the Capitol to events and things like that. We also have opportunities to join in door knocks and things like that when we get into communities and talk about these issues and organize around our, our campuses and things like that. So we're definitely going to keep our volunteer opportunities posted and up to date on our websites and always feel free to reach out. But as I said, just because of my wheelhouse, I'm really a fan of that direct action and like our partnership events that we do with Manac and getting plugged in through them through, through a lot of these actions is another great way to do that. Yes. And one of those legislative opportunities is Lobby Day on March 7th. So you can sign up restrictmn.org. And I think we're going to make the pop up on gender justice. So genderjustice.us as well. And then Olivia slash Carolyn, I'm going to come to you. How can people get involved with Manac? Yeah, the most direct way is that we have open meetings to the public every week, Thursdays at 5.30 at Mayday Books. And I think there might be a perceived barrier to to organizing or to being in those spaces. But I just want to say that it's a very uh, welcoming and open environment for people with all different backgrounds or different levels of knowledge on this subject. And so we welcome anyone to come directly organize these events with us. And we have pretty regularly events in the community. I don't have one in the docket to bring up today because we just had our protest at a Bria Northside this past weekend. So we, we were like, let's get over this hill and then we'll plan the next one. But yes, events that are similar as far as directly protesting outside of crisis pregnancy centers, putting pressure on people in power as well on the local and state level to pass policies that actually reduce the harm that these centers do or reduce their capacity to do harm. So check out our social media for that. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MN underscore AAC for Manac. But yeah, just showing up and being part of the movement, I think is the most important thing because in these places where crisis pregnancy centers operate, it's been, we've gotten a lot of support from neighbors just seeing us out and talking to people. 
And so if you can be one of those people on the ground to have those conversations and help us help us move this forward, that's really great as well. So. Yes, that's great. I love that. One thing I always think of is if you're a person who is really into doing stuff for your city, look at your city zoning laws, because a lot of city zoning laws are really specific about what can be where. And because crisis pregnancy centers masquerade as healthcare facilities, they are in places that are zoned for healthcare facilities, but they are not healthcare facilities. So just you know, something to think about. If you're a if you're a city zoning nerd guru, take a look at your city zoning laws. Okay, that is a weird nerdy note to end on, but I cannot thank you all enough for the work that you do, the lens that you bring to this work, and for coming on and spending time with me today to talk about this. Any final notes? Anything you want to add, Carolyn? I just want to say that if you don't have any experience organizing, you can come as you are. It's such a great place. I didn't have a lot of experience organizing when I just showed up to an act meeting. We're very open and welcoming, as are the other organizations. <laughs> yeah. I think organizing is just being a person with other people. Sometimes it's just figuring out how to be with each other. This is, we're releasing this on Tuesday. And I have a special surprise for everybody who is a regular listener of the Gender Justice Breeze which is the next episode will come out on Monday, next Monday, not Tuesday, Monday, because it will be a session preview. So you'll get to hear everything that's coming up this legislative session, what gender justice is working for, what Unrestricted Minnesota is working for, and what some of our partners are fighting for as well. So you only have six days to wait until our next uh, episode and make sure you subscribe so that when it comes out. Thanks so much for joining us on the Gender Justice Brief, and we will talk to you in six days. Thanks for tuning in to the Gender Justice Brief. This show is produced by Gunter Janel and Audra Griegas. To keep up with our work in real time, be sure to check out the show notes for where to find us on the web, social media, and to sign up for text updates. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share to help us spread our message. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.